my wife would stare at me. Thank you all very much for having me. That would be helpful. If I had my outline, that would be great. (laughs) I could do this off the top of my head at this point, but this would be helpful. It's an honor to be here. Thank you. Um, I want to look tonight at one of my favorite books in Scripture, and we'll just look at the first chapter, and that is... Uh, the chapter, uh, the book of Jonah in the Pew Bible is on page 654, beginning at verse 1 of chapter 1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God, and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck, where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, How can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice on us, and we will not perish." Then the sailors said to each other, Come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. They cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, Tell us, who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? What do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? He answered, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. This terrified them, and they asked, What have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he'd already told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher. So they asked him, what should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried to the Lord, O Lord, please do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man. O Lord, we have done as you pleased. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this, the man greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. But the Lord provided a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was inside the fish three days and three nights. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Let's deal with the fish first. We don't know what the fish is. Some people have decided it's a whale. Clarence Darrow, the atheist lawyer who did the Scopes Monkey Trial, was famed in a trial for saying, could you even believe Jonah was really swallowed by a fish? It is in culture a way to rebut Christian faith, to say, you can't possibly believe this is true. You can't believe that a fish swallowed a man or a whale swallowed a man. It's impossible. It's physically impossible for a whale or a fish to swallow a man and have a man be in its belly for three days and then be spit out onto dry land. Except here we have it happen. So the question of whether or not Jonah was swallowed by a fish, we can dispense with it up front. Was he? Well, do you believe in Jesus? Do you believe Jesus is God? The the great C.S. Lewis question he's or statement he's either a god or a madman he leaves us no room between he says he's god so either he's god or he's crazy jesus believed jonah was a true story 
Jesus believed Jonah was swallowed by a large fish and stayed in his belly for three days and lived. Jesus believed this. He didn't believe it was a metaphor. He didn't believe it was a parable. He believed it actually happened. In Matthew twelve forty, for as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Jesus actually compares himself to Jonah. Jonah's the only prophet of the Old Testament Jesus directly compares himself to. He will be in the earth for three days and come back alive, just as Jonah was in the fish. There's an echo to Christ's death and resurrection here that Jesus accepted as true. So if you accept that Jesus is the risen Lord, you really have no reason to doubt this. You do it by faith, the same way you believe in the resurrection. The people who can't believe that Jonah was actually swallowed by a fish are the same people who can't believe in a resurrection or a virgin birth. They may say they do, but surely they have doubts. All the doubts creep in. If you can believe in Jesus, you can believe in Adam and Eve because Jesus believed in Adam and Eve. If you believe in Jesus, you can believe the fish swallowed Jonah because Jesus did. It's by faith we believe these things. Now, let me set the scene for you here with Jonah, having dispensed with the fish. Jonah is in the northern kingdom. Remember after Solomon, Israel split into Judah and Israel, the northern kingdom. And Jonah is the second of, of the great prophets in the Bible to come forward in, in Jonah. Now, that's not the, the second prophet. Elisha and Elijah came before them. But of the books in the Bible and the minor prophets, Amos came right before Jonah. In fact, we know Jonah actually was a prophet to the northern kingdom, even though the northern kingdom had turned his back on God. Second Kings 14 references him. Uh, Jeroboam restored the border of Israel from Lebo Hamath as far as the Sea of the Arabah, according to the word of the Lord, the God of Israel, which he spoke by a servant Jonah, the son of Amadi, the prophet, who was from gath Hepfer. So Jonah is referenced more than this book in the Bible. He was actually a prophet. And what's so remarkable about this is, remember what the northern kingdom did. After they split from the southern kingdom, the kings of the north, they didn't stay with the line of David. And they decided they needed to concoct their own religion. So what they essentially did, I'm, I'm simplifying it here, but they essentially concocted a great conspiracy. Remember that golden calf and what happened? Well, that was actually the real religion. And so we're going to build golden calves and you're actually going to go worship what Aaron did. I mean, Aaron built the golden calf. After all, it must be real. And so in Dan and, and Bethel and other areas, they constructed golden calves and they mixed their religion with the pagan religion. And the kings of the north knew that if the people of the north went down to Jerusalem and worshipped there at the temple, they would realize we've been had. That God is actually the God in that temple. We're supposed to go there to worship. But God doesn't turn his back on the northern kingdom. God still sends prophets. He sent Jonah. And what did he do? One of the things God did is first, there were famines and there was poverty and there was hunger. And then he gave them great riches. And all of these things are God's way of trying to cajole the north to come back to God. In fact, if you were to read Psalm 73, which is my favorite psalm, one of the things you find there is that one of the ways God tries to serve as a blessing to call people to him is to show them wealth. Asaph in Psalm 73 realizes that the wicked in this world prosper more than the people of faith because that's the best they're ever going to have it. And so God's showing them mercy by giving them wealth here and hoping that wealth may call them. But if not, that's the best they're ever going to have it. Amos says as much. Remember, Amos came shortly before Jonah. And Amos goes up from the southern kingdom, goes up from Judah to Israel. 
God tells him to go up there, just as he's telling Jonah to go to Nineveh. And what does Amos have to say? Well, go to Bethel and sin. Go to Gilgal and sin yet more. Bring your sacrifices every morning, your tithes every three years. Burn leavened bread as a thanks offering and brag about your free will offering. Boast about them, you Israelites, for this is what you love to do, declares the sovereign Lord. I gave you empty stomachs and lack of bread, and you have not returned to me. I withheld rain from you when the harvest was still three months away. I sent rain to one town and withheld it from another, and you did not return. On and on, God lays out. He punished them. He, with, he starved them. He withheld the rain from them, and they did not turn back. So now he's poured out, by the time Jonah comes along, he's poured out great wealth on Israel hoping maybe they'll look at the prosperity and say, hey, God is real, he's with us. But the northern kingdom didn't do that. So that is the picture into where Jonah comes in the northern kingdom. Jeroboam II is the king of the, nor- of the northern kingdom of Israel. He is a successful ruler. He's beaten back the enemies on all sides. The kingdom is stable. But Amos had come, and what did Amos say? Amos said in chapter 3, of Amos, an enemy will overrun the lands. He will pull down your strongholds and plunder your fortresses. Who was the enemy? Well, there was only one enemy the northern kingdom was worried about, the Assyrians. And that's where Jonah's called to go. Jonah, a prophet in the northern kingdom, is told by God, go tell your enemies to straighten up or I'm going to punish them. Well, Jonah wants them to be punished. We, we get this sense of Jonah in the book. Now, let's get into the heart of the scripture here with what Jonah is actually doing. His mission is to go tell the Assyrians to repent, and he flees. And the reason he flees is not because he's scared to go. It's not because he thinks they're going to kill him. We don't get it in the first chapter. We have to wait till the end of, of the book. In Jonah 4, he says, oh, Lord, is, this what I, is, this, is it not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh because he didn't want them to prosper. He wanted them to be destroyed. And we don't get it in chapter 1, but Jonah apparently has had this conversation with God. And he said, I don't want to go because they'll repent. And they're the bad guys, according to Jonah. So he flees to Tarshish. Now, to get a picture on the map, God is asking Jonah to go northeast. Instead, from where he is, he goes south and heads as far west as he can. Most scholars think to the coast of Spain. So he's over here on the eastern side of the Mediterranean. He wants to take a ship as far away as he can. And what does he tell the sailors? He's running from God. He tells them when he boards the ship, what's your destination? Tarshish. Why? Fleeing from God. Well, it doesn't get very far. So what happens? Well, God's got a plan. He's got a plan for Jonah. He's got a plan for us. And there's no escaping God's plans. Uh, If you have the NIV, the second verse misses a key phrase. It just says, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it. What the English Standard and most other versions capture is that God says, arise. It's an immediate thing. God comes to Jonah, possibly in a dream, considering he goes back to sleep so soundly, but it is just arise. It is an immediate thing. God wants Jonah to get up then and there and head to Nineveh. 
There's no waiting involved. This is an immediate thing. God's got a plan and he's ready to act. And when God's ready to act, you can't stand in his way. What does Jonah do? He tries to interrupt those plans. And what does he get him? There's no escape. The other thing that you should think about here is that in a way we're like Jonah. What does Jesus tell the disciples? Go. Go preach and teach and baptize in my name. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always till the end of the age. Very much like with Jonah, God was there the whole time and Jonah had to act. He was to go tell them to repent. And God also has plans here for others. And I want to spend some time looking at the other plans that God has for the people who didn't believe in him at all, who didn't even know his name. You'll notice in Scripture, frequently throughout Jonah, as it is throughout the Bible, you have the word Lord is in all caps. And when you see that, it's referencing Yahweh. So if you'll let me read again just a portion of this. The word of Yahweh came to Jonah. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from Yahweh. He went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee Yahweh. Then Yahweh sent a great storm on the sea. And such a violent storm arose that the ships threatened to break up. Jonah, when confronted by the sailor, says, I am a Hebrew and I worship Yahweh, the God of heaven. It's not just a reference to God. It's a reference, a very particular reference to a very particular God, the only God. The other sailors, they aren't sure. They, they have other views of God. They have multiple gods. They have national gods. And what we're hearing here in Jonah and what we're seeing is that the God of all creation, the maker of heaven and earth, who raises all of us up from the dust of the earth and stitches us together in our mother's wombs, is their God too. And Jonah has to deliver that message. And Jonah tells the sailors this. And he's bold in his faith. He's running from God, but he's bold in his faith along the way. But before we get there, we get the scene that I just I find funny. The Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God. And they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck, where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. My brother-in-law, Paul, one time when I was younger, when I was in college... Uh, lived in Texas, and we got to go out on his ship. He was in the Navy. And if you went down to the middle of the ship, it was super cold. They kept the air conditioner on. It was like an icebox, and there were no windows. And the sea was rough, and everybody would get nauseous if they weren't used to it. And so you'd go up to the deck, and once you saw the horizon and once you saw the sunlight, the seasickness went away. you go back down into the middle of the ship where the tossing and turning is happening, you'd get sick again. you run back up to the top, back and forth, back and forth. It's one of my distinct memories of being on a boat at sea. I've never liked being on boats at sea. My dad took me fishing one time, and my nose bled the whole way. I hated it. I was an embarrassing junior high school kid as we were going fishing with some of his friends, and I cried, and my nose bled the whole time. I hate being on the water. And yet Jonah goes to a boat to flee and goes down to the belly of the ship in a storm, and goes to sleep. Because even though he's fleeing from God, he still can be comforted by God. He still relies on God. He still loves God. He can sleep knowing that God's going to take care of him. God's got this. 
Even while he's fleeing from God, he knows God's got this. In the same way he knew if he did go to Nineveh and urge them to repent, what were they going to do? They were going to repent because God's got this. You can't stand in the way of God's plan. You may not like God's plan. You may not understand God's plan. You may wish God's plan was something other than what his plan is. But God's got a plan. And you're not going to stand in the way. One of the keys to wisdom and understanding is to understand God's got a plan and you are part of that plan. Whether you want to be or not, you can't run from it. So Jonah wakes up. And they bring him to the top of the ship. And they say, who are you? We've cast lots now. Who are you? What do you do? Where are you from? He says, I'm a Hebrew. And this was the way that in that time, the tribes of Israel would answer. They wouldn't say, I'm, I'm a Benjaminite. They wouldn't say, I'm, I'm a Judite. They would say, I'm, I'm a Hebrew. Those were the 12 tribes. People would know what that meant. But what does he say? I worship Yahweh. I worship the Lord. But the word that they use for worship he, what he's actually saying is, I fear the Lord. What does the proverb say? The fear of Yahweh is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Proverbs 1, 7, the fear of the Lord. And that's what Jonah's saying here is that level of fear. It's not a fear scare of circumstances. The sailors are all scared of their circumstances and they're crying out to their individual gods and idols. Jonah says, I fear God, the creator of the universe. And that fear is not a fear of scared. It's a fear of being so in all that it leads you to worship. Do you fear the Lord? Do you worship the Lord with that level of reverence that you are so overwhelmed by him? It's a fear. The word fear can apply to it. Do your knees shake in the presence of the Lord? Can you sleep comfortably in the presence of the Lord, even in the storms? So what happens Well, the sailors are suddenly mesmerized. They're fearing their circumstances. And here's a guy who's clearly not scared of the storm. He knows he's the cause of the storm. And so they say, what have you done? The sea was getting rougher and rougher. So they asked him, what should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? Notice the juxtaposition here. What do we do to you to benefit us? And what's Jonah being called to do? Jonah's being called to go to them to benefit them. And these people on the ship, they're worried about themselves. What do they do to Jonah? What can Jonah do for them? That's not their thought process, though. What could Jonah do to benefit them? This God, what could he do? No, no, they, they got to do something to Jonah. And what does he tell them? Throw him overboard. And they don't want to do that. That's, that's one of the, the most interesting juxtapositions here is these people suddenly realize there is a God who's bigger than all of their gods. In fact, there's a God who actually is real. They're there. The, the, every house had an idol. Even before the Roman period, every house could have an idol, a God. They could have a national God. The Assyrians had a God. The Babylonians had gods. But there was always the thought that there was a God over all of them. And here comes this guy on the ship with the storm. They prayed all of their gods. And this guy and his God, he says, I worship this God, but he's not my God. He's not my country's God. He is the one and only God. He created the dry land and the sea. And they want to know, what do they do? And Jonah tells them, and they have this sense of injustice. We can't throw you overboard. We can't do that to you. That'll kill you. 
You get this reaction sometimes with people who read the Old Testament and they see that the destruction of God's enemies is necessary for God to prevail. And people say, well, this is unjust. How can this can't be just? I can't I can't believe in a God like that. I can't believe in a God who would punish people who don't believe in him. And here are these people saying we can't punish you even though you believe in this God. It's unjust. Everyone has this inherent sense of justice. Everyone recognizes there's a God. I say all the time, and it makes people mad at me, but there's no such thing as an atheist. Everybody worships something. And these people worship something. It wasn't the right thing. But they had a sense of a God, and they had a sense of justice. And they did because God created all things. He echoes through all of us. And they want to know what to do. And when Jonah tells them, they know there's a sense of right and wrong, but they want to save themselves. What should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know this. This is my fault, and this great storm has come upon you. But the men did their best to row back to land. Like Jonah trying to avoid his fate, they were trying to avoid what they considered injustice. Jonah's trying to go in one direction. They're trying to head back. They can't escape God either. They cried to the Lord, O Lord. But look what they're saying. Look what they're saying. They cried to Yahweh. O Yahweh. They're not crying to a God. They're not crying to their national God. They're crying to the God, Yahweh. They're using his personal name now. O Yahweh, please do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man. For you, O Lord, have done as you pleased. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard. And the raging sea grew calm. The sailors feared their circumstances. But they did what they thought they had to do to survive. The Assyrians, when Jonah gets there, we know from chapter 3, they fear their circumstances. And they repent. But Jonah's fear is different. His fear is the fear that a Christian can have today. His fear is the familial relationship with God. You can't get to where Jonah is unless you have a right relationship with God. He could act out, but he could still sleep comfortably in the storm. He could go to sleep. At the end of the story, we know he gets angry with God. When you have a personal relationship with someone, you get angry with them. It doesn't mean you don't love them, but it means you're angry with them. People get angry with God. God could discipline him. God could send a fish. Jonah, in chapter 2, prays and repents. He realizes he was wrong. He's got a mission to do. When you get to chapter 3, what does God tell him? What does God tell him in chapter 3? Again, in the second verse, just like in chapter 1 in the second verse, arise. Get up. Time to go. This is a man who's been in the belly of a fish for three days. He gets spit out on the beach. He's probably hungry. And what does God tell him? Get up. Go do what I told you to do the first time. He's got a mission and he does it the second time. That's a familial relationship. That's a relationship that you can have with a parent. It's the relationship he has. The sailors, they're scared of their circumstances. Jonah fears the Lord. He worships the Lord. He understood his commitment to God came before everything else. But he still had to be reminded of it. We know God comes first in our life, but sometimes we have to be reminded of it. Sometimes God has to put us in a proverbial fish 
for several days and let us stew over what he wants us to do. We have a sense. We know what we need to do. Sometimes we don't want to do it. And God sometimes has to remind us to do it. He had to remind Jonah. But now let's dwell on this. God used Jonah to bring people who were not even in the tribes of Israel to call him by his personal name. Jonah is trying his best to get out of a circumstance. And what happens in his struggles? Somebody else begins to call on God. Now, we can see an interesting juxtaposition here that when he gets to Assyria, he tells them to repent. And they never actually call on God by his personal name. In chapter 3, the Assyrians, they do repent. The king of Nineveh declares, do not let any man or beast, herd or flock, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let man and beast be covered in sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Not on Yahweh, not on the Lord, just God. They're repenting, but not repenting and recognizing God in Assyria. But the sailors do. And God used Jonah fleeing to do that. Now, my wife and I were here, and some of you know our health struggles we've had the last few years. I'll never forget, I was at a book signing a couple of years ago and had said on radio, talking about all of our health struggles, uh, my wife's cancer, the blood clots in my lungs that nearly killed me, the ups and downs in our family. And a guy comes up to me at this book signing, and he wants to talk to me in commercial break. Now, usually when people want to talk to you in commercial break, when you're a talk radio show host, you're never too sure, but he seemed normal. So he comes up to me, and he says, I just have to tell you, I went to the doctor, this is months ago, and he said, I was on my way to get engaged to my fiance, or he had a ring, wanted her to be his fiance. And I went to the doctor. I got some terrible news. He had a, was diagnosed with a disease. It was curable, but it was a bad disease, and they were going to be in for a fight. And he wanted her to know, and he wanted to propose, and he had his ring, and he was headed off to let her know when he got to the apartment. And he said, I, I need to tell you two things. And she says, well, I need to tell you something, too. And he said, well, you go first. She said she was pregnant by his best friend, and they were getting married. And he said he didn't know what to do. He had the ring in his pocket. He had a diagnosis of a struggle. He was going to be in the hospital. He was going to be sick. He was going to have to fight. And here's the woman he wanted to marry has been cheating on him with his best friend and was going to have his baby. And he got in the car. And he tells me he turned on the car. He wasn't sure if he was going to commit suicide or go see his parents or go to a bar or what. And there I was on the radio talking about Christie's and my struggles. And he said, you know what? My life wasn't nearly as bad as yours. I felt okay. I was glad to be able to share our family struggles and lead him to a place where he realized that things weren't so bad for him. And look at Jonah. In Jonah's struggles, he's trying to run away from God. He's not even trying to share. He tells these people on this boat that I'm fleeing Yahweh. They don't know who Yahweh is. Just some God. They've got their own God. You got the Hebrew God. You got the Assyrian God. You've got the Babylonian God. All these gods. The Egyptians had dozens of gods. And he's just trying to flee this guy. And the storm comes. And through the storm and the struggle and the decision and the calming of the storm, Jonah's been able to lead these people to call on the God, not a God. You can't get out of your struggles. Life's not fair, never has been. 
Jonah didn't think it was fair. Jonah had this nationalistic pride. He wanted the Assyrians destroyed, not redeemed. And he's got to go be the one to give them the news to redeem them so that they could come destroy his nation. He doesn't want to do that. Be like an LSU coach having to go up and train Ole Miss to play LSU. They don't want to do that. Notice my football analogy just for you. He doesn't want to do it, and yet he's got to. And what happens along the way? While he's struggling with God, other people are coming to God. All of our struggles have a purpose. And when we're wrestling with God, it has a purpose. And when we're fleeing God, we can't. It's got a purpose. And one of those purposes is to provide comfort to other people. One of those purposes is to provide people a calm in their own storm. Even when we're in the storm, sometimes our struggles are what give other people comfort. And Jonah knows all of this. He intuitively knows this. And this is the other thing where Jonah is so much like us. He knows he can't run away from God. He knows he can't get out of his obligation. He knows the God of the universe who stitched him together in his mother's womb. He can't escape that God. And he tries anyway. So do we. Thankfully, we can't escape him. The Westminster Catechism, you'll forgive me, I go to a Presbyterian church now, but Brother Joe told me to. So the Westminster Catechism, what is the chief and highest end of man? Man's chief and highest end is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Jonah struggled, didn't want to glorify God, and he wound up glorifying God. Look at Jonah 1.16 with me, if you will. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to Him. Now they feared the Lord. They didn't fear their circumstances. They started off fearing circumstances. But now they fear the God of heaven, the maker of heaven and earth, the maker of all creation. The climax of the story you think as Jonah is thrown overboard and a fish swallows him up. Here's the climax of the story. The people who didn't believe cried out to Yahweh. They tossed their goods overboard. They tossed Jonah overboard. And they ended up tossing their own gods overboard and picking up a new one. They never expected that when they got on that ship. The poet George Matherson wrote the great hymn, Make Me Captive. Make me a captive, Lord. And then I shall be free. Force me to render up my sword, and I shall conquer be. I sink in life's alarms when by myself I stand. Imprison me within thine arms, and strong shall be my hand. When we are imprisoned by God in his hand, we'll be free. Let's pray. Blessed Almighty God, maker of heaven and earth, creator of all things, you bring bread from heaven, you bring water from rocks, you raise us up from the dust of the earth, you stitch us together in our mother's wombs, and you brought us here tonight together as a community of believers. We ask, Lord, that you hold us even when we struggle, even when we flee, that you find us and bring us back. Provide us refuge, Father. Be with us when the howling winds of the world around us try to lure us away. Help our unbelief. Strengthen us in the faith. 
guide us and direct us in all that we do and forgive us our sins in Christ's name. Amen.